It's the summer. The weather is beautiful. What a perfect time to stay inside and look at our fantasy football rankings and sleepers at fantasyfootball.theringer.com. And check out our podcast with Danny Kelly, Craig Horlbeck, and me, Danny Heifetz, at The Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud Anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, it is Thursday, August 11th. I'm coming to you from New York. But I was on the Disney earnings call yesterday, listening in to the latest numbers that were revealed about the streaming wars. Disney obviously is a huge player in streaming now with Disney Plus, with Hulu, with ESPN Plus. They also own the Hot Star service overseas, which is a giant outlet for cricket in India. We'll get to why that matters later. Uh, but Disney had some very positive numbers to reveal yesterday about streaming. They went up 14.4 million subscribers to Disney Plus. They're now at 152 million. They also announced an increase at Hulu and at ESPN to where they now have 221 million subscribers to various streaming services around the world. That is actually more than Netflix, which has 220 million for the first time that's ever happened. The other big news from Disney is that they announced price increases, the dreaded price increases that are coming to Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN. That was a given. The streaming losses at these companies are just getting out of control. Disney lost a billion dollars this quarter on streaming, and they just have to raise prices all across the board. So you and I are going to be paying more for streaming. And the question is, at what cost does that come to these companies? Because they have made some lofty projections about how much they're going to grow over the next few years. And the stock market seems to be okay. Disney's shares have spiked since this announcement, but I'm a little bit more bearish on whether these companies can get to these subscriber numbers that they need to, to justify all this spending. A lot of questions. I needed some answers. So I call on Jessica Reef Ehrlich, who is a great analyst at B of A Securities. She covers the streaming world and the media companies very closely People in the C-suites around these companies actually listen to her. So I wanted to have her on to discuss the state of the streaming world after these latest Disney Plus numbers came out yesterday. And we're going to get into all that today on this episode. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Jessica Reef Ehrlich. She is an analyst at B of A Securities, and we're going to dive right into the Disney earnings and the state of streaming because we had some interesting data points that were revealed yesterday, and we had some interesting new pricing that is coming to streaming, and I think this was long overdue. But first of all, thank you, Jessica, for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
So I want to get your take on the Disney price increases, because what we have here is a $3 increase in price from $8 to $11 for Disney Plus without ads. If you want to take ads, you can get the same price. And I think a lot of people are probably going to choose that option. Then the entire Disney bundle is increasing. It's going up to about $20 for the entire Disney bundle without ads. Again, it's less if you want to take ads, although ESPN Plus, you don't seem to really have a choice on ads. You kind of have to get it that way, but that kind of makes sense with sports. Why is Disney doing this now? The price increase gives them a path to profitability. You know, they started life at a much lower level than any of their true peers, way lower. So I, I agree that it's, it's it's kind of shocking. I mean, the, the price increase is a 38% price increase which is mind-boggling, particularly when you know we're maybe in a recession and everyone's worried about inflation. But even with this seemingly gigantic price increase, they're still well below all of their peers. They're well below Netflix. They're well below Warner Brothers Discovery. It's still a lot of content and a lot of value. Um, and what will be interesting is to see what the AVOD service, the subscription with some advertising, what does that mean for ARPU? The revenue per subscriber. That's that's the big metric right now. Right. So the revenue generated per subscriber per month. So if the subscription price is $10.99, $11, and the AVOD, the advertising supported one, is $8, we don't know how many ads, they wouldn't say on the call how many ads they'll, they'll start with, but they can always add ads. We know that demand is really strong. And so uh, you know, our view is that the, there are poo it's probably going to be the same whether the subscriber takes the ads or, or or doesn't. But it will be increased now. It will likely go up from what they have, which was the lowest in the business for a variety of reasons. I mean, back when Disney Plus launched in 2019, they were so far behind Netflix. I think Bob Iger, the CEO at the time, just said, you know what? Price it low. We got to get people in the door. They did a bunch of deals with Verizon. They have all those India subscribers that get Disney Plus Hotstar with for basically for free, like a dollar something just to watch cricket, those subscribers are going away and then they're increasing the prices everywhere else. So this is a play for profitability. I mean, they they actually said on the call, management said that they don't expect a lot of churn. They announced an ESPN plus price increase, which goes into effect in a week or so. And normally you'd see churn at, at the announcement and they haven't seen that at all. Uh, we should probably talk about the subscribers, the IP, the Indian, the Disney plus Hotstar subs, because one of the main things that happened yesterday is Disney reset the subscriber guidance, and we are so relieved that they did. It's it's a good thing nobody believed that they were going to hit the 230 to 260 million subscriber guide that they had given for fiscal 24 because that, that number was given when they still had IPL. Right. That was with Cricket, and now they are going to be without Cricket. Well, right. So they're financially disciplined. They, they chose not to bid what the Paramount consortium is paying with Reliance. And so they they have the broadcast rights, but not the digital rights. And so they separated out the uh, Disney Plus core subscribers. So the new guide is 135 to 165, which is on the lower end of prior guidance. And the Disney Plus Hotstar subs are maybe up to 80 million subscribers. But the dollar plus number that you mentioned was only for the, the current, the quarter they just announced. The real ARPU from the Disney Plus Hot Star subs is more like 50 to 70 cents per month. Unbelievable. 
So there was higher revenue generated this, this past quarter because it was a cricket quarter. IPL was playing, but their costs were higher. So the financial, this, you know, this, this, this makes complete sense they, that they have reasonable numbers that they can hit. And, you know, they, they, we really do see a path for them to finally break even. The interesting thing for the consumer here is that it seems, you know, step by step, increment by increment, streaming is becoming more like television and the wild party days of pay a low price and get tons and tons of content for that low price. That's kind of coming to an end. I mean, all these services are increasing their prices. Most of them are adding the advertising tier and they've got to turn this around because I'm going to, I'm going to go through some of these numbers from the earnings reports disney lost about a billion dollars in streaming in the quarter in the quarter which is pretty amazing considering their overall earnings were so high given that the parks are going crazy right now the theme parks peacock the comcast service lost about 500 million warner brothers discovery 500 million paramount little less I mean, these are extraordinary losses that are being poured into these streaming services at a time when, yes, they still make a ton of money on linear television, but that number is going down as well. If you're Comcast, some of the broadband issues at Comcast are weighing them down. This is an, a very expensive bet to compete with Netflix. And Disney seems to be acknowledging that in order to compete at this level, you're going to have to pay up. But the question for you, though, is... Are even the reduced subscriber forecasts, are those reasonable given the price increases, given that we may be in a recession, and given that they're not going to have cricket? Um, so the 135 to 165 million Disney course, Disney Plus course up seems completely reasonable. They grew subs this quarter by 6 million. Half of them were from existing markets, half from some of the newer markets they launched. And they have yet to hit their content cadence stride which will be the end of this year, beginning of next year. And remember, like the movies that go, you know, come from theaters, wind up on Disney Plus platform. So they have good movies now, but they're going to be great avatars coming out for Christmas. And, and people in the industry tell me that might might be the biggest movie ever in history. So that's a, that's a driver for them. Yeah, they have the Black Panther sequel. I mean, there's a lot of good Disney stuff coming. The, right. the problem I see for Disney Plus is, they have yet to launch a successful series on Disney Plus that is not Marvel or Star Wars. Right. So, you know, we'll see as they as they, you know, gear up the content. But they did say, you know, something very interesting in the last couple of quarters. Their focus is more on general entertainment. And so, you know, having the they announced this BTS movie, the biggest K-pop band, the biggest band probably in the world right now. Um, so, you know, they the Beatles documentary did extremely well. So they're adding more general, more adult entertainment. Dancing with the Stars. Don't forget about that. That's moving over to Disney Plus. But there, so their content will pick up as the year progresses, and they'll be at like a hundred original shows slash movies a year or two a week, and that's that's a lot. But one thing, if you step back, what the what the studios have? Yes, they're losing a lot of money right now. This is a necessity, as you saw the the video sub numbers were like almost scary. Um, Comcast lost a million subs in the first half of this year. Charter maybe half of that, but Comcast has to lose two million subs this year. Video subs. You mean you mean the uh, linear cable subscribers? Right. Say five or ten years ago, that would have been a whole company that I covered. I mean, like it is 
it's mind-boggling how many subs they're losing. So streaming- it's just court, court cutting is just accelerating because you know those were the trends in the first place. And now all of the great content is being sucked off of the cable channels and put onto streaming. So if you're not into sports or news, there's really not that much new on the cable bundle. Right. Well, some companies are doing it a little more aggressively than, than others <laughs> and, and almost pushing their subscribers off the cliff of pay TV. Others are being a little more careful, but we're, we're going to see a lot more content. That's for sure. But what, what I started to say, the studios have some really unique advantages versus the fan companies. Not only do they have deep libraries and IP that consumers know, but they have multiple platforms, at least for now, that they can amortize content over. They also have multiple platforms that they can market to consumers. And the fan companies do not have that. You're talking about the tech companies, including Netflix. But they, they have like global platforms, which was an advantage for a long time. But they don't have these multiple ways to promote, multiple places to, to amortize the content. And they don't have IP that everybody knows. So, you know, for once, the traditional media companies may have a bit of an advantage for the first time, like in a long time. It was hilarious to me on the last Netflix earnings call to see Reed Hastings talk about how they are not encumbered by these legacy television networks and theaters. And I looked at that and I said, listen, I know you're leaning into this, but that's not such a bad thing. I mean, if you look at what Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav is talking about, yes, he wants to be a, a player in streaming, but he's also talking about the linear networks. He's putting he's putting movies in theaters, which is where they think that they can make the most money. He's talking about taking stuff off of streaming and selling it into syndication or selling it to other buyers. His mantra is basically, we just want to get paid. And that is what I think the market seems to want right now. Do you agree that the market wants a diversified stream of revenue here, not just streaming? I 100% agree with that. I mean, I give Warner Brothers Discovery incredible amount of credit. And this, the stock has gotten crushed, but it, but it will be it will wind up being an amazing stock over time. They are taking a holistic view of the universe. You know, how do you monetize content over every platform in the best way possible? And so, you know, they're just at the beginning of their strategy. They've owned the combined company for one quarter. They're going through the restructuring, but they have a set of assets like no one else. HBO alone is, you know, so, so powerful in this equation because it stands for quality. You can't, you can't just create that. that. Netflix would love that. They spent billions and billions of dollars to try to build that brand. And HBO already has it. HBO has but what about Warner Brothers TV, Warner Brothers Film. How about Looney Tunes and Hanna-Barbera? And then like hidden gems, like my kids grew up on Cartoon Network. They have like Ben 10 and Ed and Nettie. I mean, there's some amazing stuff that nobody's seen in decades, like in a long time. This They have a treasure trove of assets that have yet to be like discovered and, and brought out to the public. Th th this will be, I, I think it'll be, you know, they'll have the gift that keeps on giving for more than a decade. They have just so much stuff that will come out over time. One of the things we saw yesterday was a, another increase in subscribers at Hulu, which is sort of the wild card in the streaming equation. I love Hulu. I think they've had great shows this past year, uh, a big improvement, and they're doing what you said Disney wants more of, that general interest stuff. Not just you know the hard uh, adults-only FX stuff, but they have shows like Only Murders in the Building, and they have The Bear. Oh, that's FX. But they have stuff that like, regular people would watch even if you don't have kids or don't have marvel or uh star wars fans in your household so 
is Hulu the secret weapon here, or does it ultimately just need to be folded into Disney Plus? I mean, what's on FX, by the way, winds up on Hulu. And as they said last night in a smaller meeting after the call that like there's a one and a half percent overlap between FX and 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 Disney Plus. So they, they're expanding the audience. They're expanding the pe- the amount of people. Oh, I watch all the FX stuff on on Hulu. That's what that's like p- the big part of the value for me. Yeah, but they so but they use linear and the you know as well as uh, streaming. Um, you know, they have to be careful with Hulu until they buy Comcast out. Right. Comcast still owns that 30%. And Hulu's right now using a different technology platform. So once once it's under one umbrella, which we're assuming is the Disney umbrella and not the Comcast umbrella, then, then they'll be able to combine the technology background. I think it'll be a step up in terms of advertising capability for Hulu, which is already the industry leader. And we'll see what, what more they can do with the content, what more they can do to promote. But right now... There are inefficiencies because there are two parents. And Hulu already has ads. So I imagine Disney is looking at how the ad performance does on Hulu to determine what they're going to do on Disney+. Plus. Hulu is the industry leader. They have 50% of the AVOD or the ads in, in the streaming business. They are, they've done a phenomenal job. And that's with, at least what Disney says, is, is not as good technology. I don't want to say inferior, but not as good as the Disney technology platform, which was built from scratch. So, um, th- you know, I, that's a good comparison to the fan companies because traditional media companies' business is selling advertising. There's no ramp up. There's no learning curve. Netflix has to go up a learning curve right now. Well, they brought in Microsoft to help them sell ads because they have such a, an incompetence in that area. And, and in fact, have been hostile to advertising for the entirety of its existence until this year where they decided, oh, crap, we better have this. Well, there's probably a lot more to the Microsoft deal. deal, And I I mean, there's a lot of speculation what pieces and how did Microsoft get this business, but... Meaning the beyond minimum guarantees of ad revenue? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. There's, there's There are other assets that Microsoft has that could come over to the Netflix camp. Oh, like gaming? Well, cloud, you know, there's other other things. But Microsoft isn't known in the industry as being the best advertising sales force. You, you, you know, this is, there are different reasons for this deal, I'm sure. But they are a huge player in advertising. I was surprised at how big they are in terms of volume of sales. Right. But Netflix is clearly in the ad business now. I know ad buyers are like salivating at getting at the Netflix audience because of both the quality of the audience, the engagement, and the scale. I mean, they still have 220 million subscribers globally. Uh, Until yesterday, they were the global leader. Now, Disney says they have 221, which was, I I thought, a very convenient number to be 1 million more than Netflix, although the Disney number is a little bit padded because many of those subscribers get multiple Disney services and are counted for each one. But that's still pretty impressive that Disney in, you know, only a few years um, has gotten to that level. It truly is amazing. And I think you'll see others coming up. This is a chance for streaming companies that at least, again, I'm going to go back to traditional media. It's a chance for them to, to possibly claw back some of the money they lost to digital companies, whether it was Facebook or to Snap or you know, it was Google. They finally have or will have addressable targeted advertising capability. So we've talked about it and talked about it for over a decade. And now they ha- they actually do have it. There's going to be money flowing back in 
for sure. I don't think it's all a share shift from linear, but there, you know, some of the money will, will likely come from digital. What percentage do you think of the Disney Plus subscribers, and Netflix for that matter, are going to choose the ad tier? That's the big, big variable here. Yeah, I think the number that Disney gave yesterday was that Hulu, 60 or 70% of subs take the ads here. Like the, the more than, you know, the majority take the ads here. And what it should do is not only increase the TAM, you know, so the addressable market, TAM is total addressable market. So because not everybody can afford to pay for a subscription, but if the ads are relevant, if they're targeted, they're relevant. The ARPU, the, the revenue that they generate, could conceivably be more than subscription alone. So take Discovery Plus. Discovery Plus was generating, I think, $7 with subscription only and $10, $11, with, $12 with, in their ad light service, their, with, you know, what they call ad light AVOD service. So, so Discovery Plus was able to generate higher revenue per user by having their ad light service. Right. And you think that that is replicable across Netflix and uh, and even HBO Max and Disney Plus because th- that's a very different kind of content. The Discovery Plus content is the lean back, turn on ninety day fiance and do laundry and have it on for five six hours. I don't know. I mean, I I had Hulu with ads for a while. It was effing annoying. I hated it. I, I you know, and for me, it was worth the extra couple bucks to get rid of that. I know. You know, when you're talking about millions of viewers, there are many of them who are price sensitive and are willing to endure that. But it's different, I think, when you're talking about watching the prestige drama stuff rather than the unscripted stuff that is on Discovery+. Plus. What you just said is a very common comment that I've heard from almost everybody I talk to, like bar none. Like everybody finds the Hulu ads completely annoying because there are so many of them and there's so much time. But the other services, at least initially, will start with three to five minutes an hour. So it won't be annoy- that annoying initially. You know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. And it's not free because there are services that are free. The, you know, the, the um, free ad-supported services are out there with mostly library content now. And these services that are doing uh, video on demand with ads, they are trying to thread that needle where there's a tolerance point of people with ads. Uh, they can't go over that line. And in the, if passes any prologue here, the television networks long past that line. And I think that it's probably going to ultimately happen. But you're right. They're smart to start with a low ad load. But fast services have actually done very, like, shockingly well. Yeah, the ad supported free ones. The Pluto's over a billion dollars. 2B Fox reported yesterday and they said they expect to get to a billion. They didn't give an exact time frame. But, you know, they're, they're along a... They've made a lot of progress. I watched the Amazon version, Freebie, and right. it was fine. Like I, once you know, once you're in that environment and you get what it is, and you're like, okay, I have to watch ads. Like it's a fine service. Like I could see why it's very popular. People love free. Right. Getting back a little bit to the the price increases and how it will impact consumers here. We're headed for a bundling at some point, right? I mean, they already have a bundling. No, so, no, no, so not inter, intra-company bundles. I'm meaning ex- external bundles, meaning there's going to be a tie-up where you pay 100 bucks and get five of them. I mean, does it replicate pay TV over time? Possibly. But the intra-company bundles will be really interesting because in Warner Brothers Discovery, even though they haven't announced the specifics, our expectation is that they have news, they have CNN, news, sports, 
general entertainment, reality, kids, movies, um, and the same. You could say the same thing for the Disney bundle. You know, ESPN Plus. You know, they they have it all as well. So whether they align or don't align, I, I you know, it's 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 not going to be immediate. It will take some time. Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's coming right now. There's got to be the shakeout. And poor poor Peacock. Poor Peacock. They announced their revenue and their subs. They're stuck at 13 million. Not that much compelling content there. If you were running Comcast, what would you, or if you were advising Brian Roberts, what would you say for him to do with Peacock? They had zero net ads. Uh, you know, they, they came out of the gate with a great strategy. They were zigging when everyone staffed. You know, they came out with the, like an, an ad, an AVOD service. They feel content light. And they feel it feels like they need to combine with another company somehow. Like the NBCU needs to get bigger or merge with somebody. And the service, it, you know, they're still losing hundreds of millions of dollars on it. They're just not getting the benefit in the growth trajectory that they want. Well, they they've said they'll lose two point five billion. So we're we're projecting that Disney, you know, Disney Plus loses four billion this year. Comcast or Peacock loses two point five billion. Just on streaming, not not in the aggregate for their entire Just company. Just on streaming, right? So, last question: How high can these services go in terms of pricing? Are we looking at twenty five dollars a month for Netflix in a couple of years? You know, especially with inflation where it is, and everybody struggling. And that, well, I mean, even the most wealthy people are kind of shocked at the at the pump. You know, prices are everything's gone up. The fear is if they go up too much or too too much too fast, that churn, which is a problem for the industry, churn will will just you know escalate. So, you know, you can wait until your favorite show has enough episodes, go on for a month, and then go somewhere else. So, and that's I call that the producer Craig strategy. <laughs> um, but yeah, or you know, or the password sharing crackdown, like that. That's another potential threat to these services if they call if they keep cracking down on on passwords and those people don't end up coming into the ecosystem right and it's a lot easier to turn than it was to like wait for the cable guy to come take the box out you know pay for the disconnect it's, you can just go on and off so yeah easily. people do that and that's the real challenge here that's why i think some of these subscriber growth numbers are really aggressive considering the price increases considering the economy and considering the ease with which people can jump around I just don't know if they're going to be able to hit these numbers. Well, brands matter, content matters. And, you know, and that's what, you know, having shows that are really like enticing or enthralling, which I think some of these traditional media, like I bet on Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery for sure. Yeah, I think Game of Thrones is going to be huge, the spinoff. And I think that, you know, but I, I, I do wonder how long they can keep milking the Star Wars and Marvel stuff because there will eventually be diminishing returns. It will not be special anymore to have a star wars show it's already it already kind of feels like that with this new andor show so uh, they got to have non-genre hits on disney plus they just gotta we'll go listen to you <laughs> all right jessica reeve ehrlich thank you very much for joining us thank you so much all right we are back with the call sheet my daily prediction producer craig i got it i predicted that disney would lower its guidance on its subscriber numbers and yesterday they did. Um, not the biggest prediction in the world. Some analysts were saying that, but others were saying they wouldn't. Now Disney says they're going to have between 215 and 245 million subscribers by 2024. Compared to what? What did they used to have? They used to say that they were going to have 20, 230 
to 260 million. So it's so like a 15 to 30 million subscriber drop. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's what people were sort of expecting them to do. But I still think it is going to be extremely difficult to get to those numbers. So my prediction today is that Disney will have to lower again at some point. Can these media companies like Disney just temper Wall Street's expectations by moving the goalposts closer and closer in terms of their forecasting? And then, well, that's what they're doing, but they take a hit every time. Right, but if, if you just keep moving the goalposts closer and closer, then you can hit these goals that are more reasonable now and then impress Wall Street, even though your goals are no longer as difficult to reach. They do that, but every time you move the goalposts, the analysts take note. And I'm actually surprised that the Disney stock has been up so much because- yeah, that was my question. Yeah, that they sort of pulled a fast one on the market yesterday by announcing all this great stuff. And the CEO, Bob Chapek, was like, listen, we're, you know, we're firing on all cylinders. We've got our subscriber numbers up. And oh, by the way, one other thing, we're lowering our projections because we don't think we're going to hit those numbers. And typically when you do that, the, the market goes, whoa, and pulls back. But I think maybe the market was expecting them to decrease the projections more. And the fact that it was only about a 15 million retrenchment was sort of good news in a way. That also raises the question, though, is whether they're going to have to do the same thing next quarter. Or the quarter after mm. that. And if they just kind of keep ratcheting this stuff back and say, hey, don't look over here. Next thing you know, they've significantly reduced their aspirations in this world. And the market may or may not take note of that. Sounds like you're a little less bullish on Disney than Jessica was. I think I am. I think I am. She has more information than I do because she's got these extensive research notes. But the analyst community until... Eight ten months ago was mostly uh, Jessica was a little bit more tempered on this, but the analyst community, the thinking was grow at all costs. Now that's a different calculus. They're really trying to focus on profitability, as we discussed. These companies don't know exactly how the economy is going to impact them. They don't know how competition, you know, and in the entertainment world, that's the big wild card. We don't know how good the content is going to be. You know, she talked about Avatar being this huge driver and potentially one of the biggest movies of all time. I tend to agree with her. I think it is. Yeah. But Avatar could be a huge turd. I don't think it could. I, I think no matter, even if it's not very good, people didn't even think the first one was good, apparently, and it made more money than any movie ever at the time. True. But my point is, is that when you're in a creative business, it it's somewhat dependent on creative execution. And there are things that end up driving subscribers in this world that uh, that that you couldn't have expected. Uh, all right, that's the show for today. We will be back next week. I want to thank Jessica Reef Ehrlich, producer Craig Horlbeck, and I want to thank you 